Hi, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. This is a reminder that we're going on tour next summer. Yes, that's right. We're going on tour. The Living Undeterred U.S. Tour 2022. We're leaving on May 9th next summer. We're going to every state and we're raising a million dollars. That's the plan to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. We need your help though. I cannot do this alone. I know there's a lot of people out there interested in this uh, project of ours. You can go to our website, www.livingundeterred.com. We need volunteers. We need state partnerships. We need sponsors. We need as many people as we can to get out there and help those people that need help to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. Again, go to livingundeterred.com and click on the Living Undetoured icon, and all the information is there. Again, thank you very much for the support, and as always, keep living undeterred. Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast, and thank you for uh, watching today's show. Uh, I first of all wanna thank everybody for the absolutely awe-inspiring support that I've had on this journey. For those of you that are new to the journey, I'll tell you a little bit about where the Living Undeterred idea came from. For those of you who already heard this, then just hang on. But uh, uh, October 4th, 2016, my oldest son died, our oldest son died of a heroin overdose. And that was a very disruptive moment in my life. I was a, still am a, a practicing financial advisor. I had built a wealth uh, financial firm up called Premier Investments of Iowa. At 50 years old, you know, I had it all. I had a, the big house, the cars, uh, the status. I mean, and then I buried a child, which uh, is, is the hardest thing to possibly do. Uh, and then recently I buried my wife. Um, my wife died uh, eight weeks ago. And I will simply say that grief um, took a toll on her. And we'll leave it at that. So I've had to deal with two really difficult uh, challenges in my life. And today's guest, um, is going to talk a lot about wellness and health and mental health and well-being. And I think what I went through as a financial advisor preceding the death in my life, I was an alcoholic. I had compulsive gambling problems. I had a lot of masks I was wearing as I was building up my financial advisory practice. So our guest today is writing a book. And I was immediately drawn in when I heard about this. She's got some uh, family history in the business. Her book is catered towards the financial advisory industry and the wellness and the health behind the industry. Not the wealth, but the health behind it. She's got a great name of her company. It's called Grow Wealthy, W-E-L-L-T-H-Y, which I think is spot on. So with that, I'm going to introduce from uh, the lovely state just south of us, Missouri, Stephen Gwinnup. Thank you for being on the show. And I ask every guess this question. Why do you think I drug you on the Living Undeterred podcast? <laughs> drug me here, huh? <laughs> I don't know if I would call it that. First of all, thank you so much for having me. You I'm bet. really excited to be here. I love what you're doing. Um, I, you know, I see some parallels here between your experience, you know, in the advisor world and wanting to help other people outside of that world even um, to not have to have those crisis moments. And everyone's has different experiences, but um, I'm kind of on the preventative side of things. So I'm assuming that that's why you drug me here is how can yeah. we help people to prevent some of these things that kind of run rampant in this industry? 
you know the the statistics and I did a I did a live stream last night I'm gonna cheat here for a second look on my sheet here but these are statistics on mental health and addiction and when you say mental health or addiction or substance abuse people have these these um, uh, visions come into their head but some of the statistics are jaw-dropping one in five adults experience mental illness um, one in four girls and one in six boys are sexually abused suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States so an alcohol alcohol uh, death killed 97 America 97,000 Americans last year so you know it's not just the financial services industry but today's topic is specifically towards what I've worked you know most of my life to build and to counsel people on and now you've got this book coming out and what what you did I guess before I get to the book let's talk a little bit about why this industry um, you know I, I, I think it's it's admirable you're the CEO and founder of, of grow wealthy you you cater to people like me your clients are advisors but what got you interested of all the industries you could have picked why did you pick the financial advisory business? Well, it, it took me about 20 years to come full circle back to home, as I call it. Um, if you can see over my shoulder, this is my dad's legacy award. He was an advisor, a successful advisor for 32 years. And I was 11 years old when he started that office. Two previous advisors had actually failed at an office in that same town before he came in. And so it was... Um, a good 10 years of hustle, vacations where he's on the phone, calling it like there's, you know, I lived that life of seeing it secondhand, what that kind of lifestyle can do. Um, once he did make it, I was able to go on some of these trips with him, like awards trips and um, work in his office and those sorts of things. So I got to know his colleagues. I got to know his clients and I realized pretty early i had so i have several really distinct memories of like a gut punch when mm. these people in the industry and the clients of the industry had really worked hard and achieved a lot of things financially but when mm. it came time for them to retire they either got sick or died prior to being able to use it or um, one example is when I was in Scotland and we had just come from a, an advisor event and we were sitting on the bus. One of the managing partners in the company was sitting on the bus next to me, the, in the little seat next to me. I was 17. I, you know, we were just chatting and he was not happy. He was in fact miserable. He was hmm. unhealthy. He did not want to be there. His relationships had fallen apart with his family. And I just remember going, oh my gosh, you have such a big bank account. I know you're doing very well financially, but everything over here is bankrupt. And I just thought there had to be another way. And, you know, fortunately, my dad did not go down that route. He was able to bring some things into his life. And, and he's, at, he's 75 now, and he oh, can beat man. me in pickleball. He can outfish <laughs> me, out paddle me, out racquetball me, and he's 75. And awesome. so he fortunately was able to do that. But I saw kind of the train wreck of all of that other happening. And unfortunately, you know, in this industry, these people, these advisors are talking to clients every single day. And so they have like a megaphone where they can reach, 
you know, 150, 250 families. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I get to serve these people that mean so much to me. They're part of my DNA. But not only that, they get to go out and be the mentors and spread that word. And my reach just goes so much further to tell people, this is important to you. Your health is an asset. It's part of your financial portfolio. Yeah. Here's how to make sure that these things are covered so you don't end up in retirement going, uh-oh, you know, this didn't work out. Or even before retirement, I hear advisors all the time talk to me when I do these book interviews about, you know, they don't want to die at the desk because that's yeah. kind of a real thing in it this is. industry and, and others, honestly. So how can we prevent that? How can we give people the tools that are beyond exercise and beyond diet? You know, the things that really make their life kind of have a rhythm to the day mm -hmm. that taps into their physiology. Because you talked about mental issues and stress and depression and some of those. My background is in exercise physiology. That's what I, I did for 20 years. Honestly, they're the same thing. Mental health and physical health there's no difference because yeah. they're both, one is just a more of a dysfunction or a disease of an organ, but it's your brain. The others are of other organs like your kidneys or your, you know, your gut or whatever, yeah. but they all interact with each other. So if you've got some malnourishment going on or you've got some stress going on, it affects all the other systems so that you can't really look at one without looking at all of them. I, I remember, you know, I, I came into business at 23 and I'm 55 now, but I actually haven't seen clients in the last three years. I've, I'm, I'm retired, but I haven't sold anything. I'm just not, I'm doing this right now. <laughs> the Living yeah. Under Project is what I really, really like. Yeah. But I remember, I remember meeting with clients back when I was seeing them and I met a lot of clients. I actually ended up calling them financial hoarders in my book, where I write about these people that, you know, we know what a hoarder are, hoarders are. You've seen the shows, they have the, the houses and they just have stuff they can't get rid of. Well, financial hoarders are the same way with their money and there's a disconnect, there's a poor relationship. It's all about quantity of their money, not the quality of their money. So they accumulate, they accumulate, they accumulate. They just become rich, old, miserable people. So I saw as a financial advisor, a lot of clients that had money, but they weren't happy. And I'm like, I, I'd rather not have money and be happy I don't want to be broke, but I'd rather right. not have millions of dollars, but be miserable. And I just saw so many good families get broken up over deaths and wills weren't done right. And all this money was on the table. And so the, the money part's great, but you've got to have the emotional, the, the well-being part. I want to circle back a little bit about uh, alcoholism because in, you know, in our industry, it's, it's got to be rampant. That, I'm sure your book's going to have lots of uh, statistics and studies on, on alcohol abuse. I was a full-blown alcoholic before Seth died. And, but I was a fully functional alcoholic. I mean, social, um, could go out. I never stumbled. I never blacked out. I could drink two bottles of expensive Cabernet. I still have a, a, a dog named Camus and a cat named Opus. Um, and for someone who's quit drinking four years ago, and I have two pets named after my favorite Cabernets, um, I, I looked at the industry thought, it's really odd how we go to these conferences and there's all this celebration. And then at night, they just sit around and get hammered drunk wholesalers spent all this money on us and it just turns into at the evening when you go to when you're going through the elevator night you see couples fighting you see the unhappy people like you said you see unhealthy people i just thought you know this is not that's not the conferences that i think could really be uh inspiring and uplifting so one thing i think our industry needs is to upgrade our conferences make them 
make them less about partying and more about more about information and and and, and uh, fellowship and the culture of it. But back to yeah, what you're talking great about. Idea. Um, yeah, and so you know, um, why do you think financial advisors, particularly, are so unhappy when a lot of them have done very well financially? What, what what's the what's the what's what are they missing? You know, I think it's a it's like a perfect storm because when you become a financial advisor, you have your hustle years, right? And maybe they're five years, maybe it's mm. 10 years. So you think, right. oh, I'll just do whatever it takes to get successful. And then I'll circle back and start taking care of myself. Good By point. that time, there's such a disconnect right. that they never pick it back up on their plate until, you know, there's some sort of crisis that hits. Well, if you pair that together with the volatility of a market that they can't control, but the expectation that their clients have that they are going to make them money and not lose their money, right. you know, that right. burden kind of sits on their shoulders. Um, and combine that with just the office kind of job where you're sedentary for a good portion of your day behind a computer typically. And when you do get away from the computer, you're whining and dining and taking people to do things, you know, out. And it's just the perfect storm. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to say that other industries don't have these types of things because they do, but it seems to be a lot of personality types that love, you know, they're, they're go-getters. They want to achieve and they just can't quite um, you know, they're running for the races in one area of life and forget that there are other areas. I kind of liken it to, um, I, I grew, my dad's office was in Arkansas, the boot heel of Arkansas and the Mississippi river runs right through our area and it's all cotton fields. So if the Mississippi floods, then your cotton fields get destroyed, right? Mm -hmm. So the only way to do that, you can't change the river. You can't right. change the environment of the uh, financial services industry, but right. you can build your levees higher, right? Absolutely. You can keep the water like where that. it should be to protect your other fields. And what happens in the financial advisors industry is it's like, you know, the water keeps running. It never slows down. People think it will. And it ends up just kind of getting out and flooding the rest of their life um, because they haven't been as proactive in that part as they have in their finances. And so what I think is really important is that advisors have the skill set already. They have all the skills to plan for the future, to do the deposits, you know, to not, not have these gaps in coverage for your portfolio or whatever. Um, so all we really need to do is transfer the skills from money to health and see health as an asset that it is. So put some trends behind it, put some numbers behind it, know what 10 areas you should be looking at and where you've got your gaps. So it's it's almost like making advisors authentic to their own message is what we're doing. Oh boy, that is so accurate. I mean, that's right? a very accurate, yeah, it is because the old saying, practice what you preach. I mean, you know, yeah. how many, how many lawyers die without a will? You know, how many, <laughs> it happens all the time, you know, all the time you hear, you hear about this lawyer that dies didn't have a will. It's like, how many financial planners don't have a plan? I, I, did you ask that question in your research? I mean, I bet a lot of them don't. Well, I didn't ask about specific on their financial plan, but, um, I do have kind of a belief statement that I allude to when I ask them questions is if you have a financial plan, but you don't have a wellness plan, you have half a plan. 
Yeah. Because the yeah. two go together. You, it's right. like train tracks going towards your destination. If one of them isn't laid properly, you're going to derail yourself, whether it's your money or your wealth, or sorry, your money or your health. Um, either one, both of them are necessary. And so everything that, you know, I, I like to think of things in terms of money. So if mm -hmm. someone's carrying a lot of high interest credit cards, wouldn't you counsel them to get rid of those because they're right. costing them their, their future? Right. You know, it's, it's, that's the same way with your health. If you're carrying belly fat, right. that's your high interest credit card. It's, hmm. you know, that's if good. you have stress that's at a nine, something's going to give. It's a, it's a, it's a pressure cooker. So what right. is it that you're going to do about it? Is it going to be a drinking issue that you're going to have, like you just mentioned? Because you have to figure out a way to deal with it. Or is something in your body going to break down and force you to back off? Because it's just not a sustainable lifestyle. Well, you know what's going to happen when your book comes out is uh, other industries, other people in other industries are going to say, well, it's no different in my business. Um, you know, I, I just uh, was on a pod. I was on a podcast with Sean Welsh uh, today. I just met him on LinkedIn a little while ago, and he's in the car, the car business. And he was telling me, oh, that's how, a rough one too. Yeah, he was telling me it's commission driven. It's high alcohol. It's they 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 play hard. They they party hard. And he has a mental health podcast, and that's why I was a guest. But I'm like, there's an industry that could read your book and say, well, the financial stuff is doesn't interest me, but all the issues, they're the same in my industry. So I think, I think your book is like portable. You could like boilerplate it in many different industries. I want to ask you another question. I've been really wanting to ask you, sure. this is a male, it's a male dominated industry. So mm -hmm. you, a female here is trying to get information in a male dominated industry. So the, the problems with the men in this industry, I, I can relate to, because obviously that's what I am. But what are the problems the women have? What's the what's the what's the impetus or the or the genesis behind the uh, the lack of satisfaction for women? I could think of the obvious ones: raising a family, those you know, having having children, those type of things. But well, what are the stressors for the women financial advisors that would be different from the men that you that you found? Yeah, great question. I mean, you know, I really have to find female financial advisors. I have to look for them and try yeah. to get. Them because so many of my interviews are with the men. And what I'm finding is that, yes, there's the family struggles and those types of things, which add another layer. Um, but also there's, um, I'm hearing a consistent theme of bully advisors. So bully advisors who've been in the industry for a long time, and they're kind of like good old boys club. This is how we've yeah. always done it. And they'll, they'll actually tell these women, I don't believe in you. I don't think you can do this. You don't have a place here. I can't believe that people are actually saying these I things. I can't either. They are. And so one of the advisors I spoke to, wow. she's like, I, I lived in that toxic environment of someone. And I was supposed to take over his body of, of his book of business when he retired. And he kept telling me that I, there's no way I would be successful. So she said, I found myself in the bathroom having anxiety attacks, just crying. I couldn't. I couldn't function. So for the first time in her life, she had to go out and get a therapist, go through therapy for a year and a half to try to, you know, not give up essentially. And so that's, that's like, that's a constant theme I'm seeing is that there's a lack of belief that these women can do that from the people that been in, have been in the industry for a long time. Um, probably the other thing is a loneliness. They feel like the only one because most of the people in their circles are males 
and they feel like they they have different struggles. And so I'm seeing a lot of women's group pop, group, women's groups pop Good. up. Great. You know, women in wealth, women in finance, yeah. and all of these things because they need someone to kind of just vent to, and that's really yeah. healthy. Yeah, I you know I in my thirty something years I have seen. I remember, I remember a meeting I was at with some of the good old boys uh, advisors uh, on, on a. I just won't. I won't say where any. I'll just. I'll just keep it limited. <laughs> but I was in a meeting where this this female wholesaler came into the room, and one of the gentlemen who at the time was you know probably in his seventies, said something yeah. like, "Well, we're we're looking for your presentation, sweetie." And Ooh. you could, and you know, I was probably 35 at the time and you could see me and all the other younger men saying, dude, squirm. dude, <laughs> yeah, we squirmed. We're like, oh shit. I, I thought, you know, and she was awesome. She was professional, you know, but you know, just sweetie, it's like, I, you know, and, and that, that now, hopefully that is out of our industry and out of the workplace. And I, I have to think that as, as some of these older men leave, that they're being replaced by hopefully men that are now have seen these things and seen the injustices and the discrimination that goes on with, with all this stuff. Um, right. And it, it is unfortunate. And, but the women I've met in this industry, man, they are rock stars. They are freaking rock stars. I mean, they are they are go-getters. They're confident. They're bright. They are, they're not shy. Um, because if you are shy woman in this industry, <laughs> you just ain't going to make it. <laughs> you're, right. You can be smarter than all the men, but if you can't communicate well, you're just not going to make it. Um, but the women I met have just been unbelievable. I mean, they are just, I, I need to get a couple of them on my show. Actually, most of my show has been talking to trauma and alcoholics and things like that. People have had some issues, yeah. but you're really the second person other than John Statmuller that I've had on the show that, that has been in our industry. So, yeah, it, you know, going back just a little bit, you know, we talked about the obvious ones with the family, with the women, one thing that, one thing I've noticed with, um, with the stress levels, cause I ask everyone that I interview, you know, what is your stress? And then tell me more about what those stressors are. Yeah. Um, men are really consistently six or seven on a say a scale of one to 10. Okay. Like that's 10 being, calm. 10 being high stressed Ten being high okay. one being no big deal, you know, right. um, six or seven, the people who've been in the industry, they're taking care of their bodies. They have a workout eating mental health routine that they subscribe to. They're pretty consistently like a four on that hmm. same, same scale. Yeah. It's the same industry, but they're, they just have a better way of dealing with that stuff. Yeah. Um, but the women are almost always a nine on that scale, a nine. And I'm wow. like, okay, why? Like, let's figure this out. And they just have more. And a lot of the time it's because they feel like they have two jobs. One is the family because yeah. they have to get everybody out the door. They have to fix dinner at night. And these are the responsibilities that really weigh on them heavily is juggling all of that stuff. So, right. you know, we can say it's it's been there. Those are the common ones, but it's it's still really serious because you can't operate for decades at a nine for your stress levels without something going wrong. And that's so true. Uh, and you know, I, I talk, I write frequently about a lot of the stuff I went through and one of the ways I've been able to survive, because people are always wondering, you know, how, you know, how did you survive this Jeff? A lot of it was my preparation and my prevention, my habits, 
I kind of look at I have two lives. I have before the two deaths in my life, and then I have after the two deaths in my life. Right. And and before my before this happened, I you know as an ex athlete, competitive person, I have ADD. I'm I'm hyper focused, so things rolled off my back. A client could say "f you," and, and it would be on my mind for five seconds. I mean, yeah. I, I just I, I I've always been that way, and that's an ad, an asset in this business. It also there's also times it can get you in trouble because I'm not a very good listener sometimes. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm so just resilient. I guess that's where this living undeterred thing came from. Is I just feel like. But what happened to me made me realize that there's certain shortcuts that I can't take anymore. Like I have to watch my health. I mean, I have to quit drinking. I have to exercise. I have to meditate. I have to read. I have to be around positive people 24-7. I can't afford to be around negative people. I can't have the TV on. I can't watch Fox News. I can't, I can't do any of that stuff because I'll go back to my, my old habits of being you know, angry, like you said. My stress level... Before all this happened was probably a uh, probably a five five or six, um, but I've learned now, and I think I think there's some lessons in in what I've been through that can help financial advisors in preparation and prevention. So, all the mm-hmm. financial advisors, all the financial advisors that that have been out there, they know that another market correction is coming. It's it's not it's not a matter of 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 if it's it's when. And so right. the the time to prepare your clients for that is right now. You know, and I think a lot of young advisors, they don't think that's necessary. You know, prevention is not, not, I'll worry about it when it happens. Whereas some of the older advisors are like, oh, we're having these conversations every day, you know? So I think, I think to help, help you a little bit, not help you, you don't need help, but Stephen, um, is to maybe, um, something I've noticed is the, 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 the preparation for an advisor in those meetings, in those client reviews to tee the client up that, the inevitable corrections are coming. We just don't know when, but they will. Um, I think that helps a lot in healing when they do come and you're not you're not floored and your phone isn't ringing and clients yelling at you all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true too. Um, just like you, like an advisor would talk to clients about their risk tolerance, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Younger, yep. Advi- younger clients have a little bit more risk they can take. Older yeah. clients, you know, you have to watch your margins a little more and be a little more conservative. The same thing is true for your your health and wellness. Just like you said, when I'm younger, I'm able to go out and do all of these things. But as time goes by, I have to watch it. I have to be careful because Mm -hmm. things become more detrimental as the timeline continues to march along. So what you could get away with in your 20s, in your 50s, you're not going to be able to get away with. You have to actually clean up and get a little bit of a tighter ship the further along in those there's actually four life categories or stages and the the third one which is ages 44 to 66 that's like the Mm -hmm. typical midlife um that one is your only window to affect your last 8,000 days your retirement days because Mm -hmm. what you do there gives you enough wiggle room to actually make the changes that you need because by the time you get to the retiree days your your risk tolerance and your margins are so small that you can't there's there's already you've kind of already baked your cake essentially so yes the 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 prevention is a constant thing that mm-hmm. i'm trying to educate around is like we can't wait on this stuff guys right. you can't right. you can't retire and then open your 401k you just can't right. do it right. you can't retire or get into your 40s and 50s without looking at your health because sometimes you can't get that stuff back and we need to start thinking about it now 
So how many how many people did you or you still interviewing? I assume right for the book. Yeah, yeah, I'm interviewing through the end of the year. So I have the guts of the book built, but I'm looking for more data and stories. Um, and so I'm looking for as many advisors to um, to interview. Right now, I've only only I've, I've interviewed sixty to seventy advisors, awesome. something like that. Um, and the goal is to get as close to 300 by the end of the year as wow. possible. Okay. So I've got some really strong data so we can really see what's going on um, and understand what's really important. I just put a poll out this past week. I don't know if you saw it. And it was what's more important to you for a motivator. Is it to look good in your clothes or is it disease it. prevention? Yeah. What I'm was not going to tell you what I answered. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, so, okay. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, no man. pressure. You don't have to answer. That's okay. But I can tell what, you the results if you want. No, I I know what I answered. I said disease prevention because that's the that's the at fifty five years old. That's a lot more important yeah. than what I look like. Now, if you ask me the same thing at thirty five, it's what I look like. No How question. You look. Yeah. 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 And people when they when they say disease prevention, they have like a heroic look and they want to do the right thing and they're <laughs> yeah. doing it for all these reasons. Yeah. When they say they want to look good in their clothes, they come at it apologetically. They they say, I'm sorry, I know I shouldn't say this, but this is what I really think. Huh. And it's really interesting just the approach yeah, yes. of how they, how they admit what their real motivation is. And, you know, so there are biases out there in the world, right? Whether it's yeah. your mental health or yep. the things that, you know, addictions or whatever. Every There are biases that we're constantly, you know, pressing up against and shying away from. And these conversations are hard. They're not simple. And I would love if every advisor would just be willing to open these conversations. Not that they have to be the expert. But, you know, how are you doing? What do you want to be doing in 20 years? Um, not just how long are you going to live? You know, we're, right. we're, we're talking about the difference in lifespan versus health span. Insurance companies deal with lifespan, right? When are you going to take mm -hmm. your last breath? We want to know, as people who are trying to help others, hmm. how long are you going to live well? How long are you going to be free? And it's all about freedom, freedom from addictions, freedom from mental distress, you know, freedom from your, your ability to wash your hair because your shoulders right. still work, you know, or whatever. Right. That's really everyone wants, you know, the ability to do what they want, when they want, with the people they want for as long as they want. And that's what money gives you as that vehicle, but that's also what your health and wellness gives you. And you can't separate those two things. Was there anything in your research that you just said, wow, I never saw that coming? Any, any just <laughs> jaw-dropping things you said, wow, I just I didn't envision this being an issue? Yeah, anything? I made a list and I posted it this week of the top 10 things I've seen so far. Um, probably, I, I kind of expected most of them. What I didn't expect. I saw the list, by the way. I just I'm, I you? saw the yeah. list. Yeah, I'm just acting like I didn't know the answer. <laughs> okay, um, I'd like to know what stuck out to you if you remember. But um, the thing that surprised me the most, I actually called my book coach, and I was like, "You won't believe this. Advisors have this thing about Peloton bikes. Like, what is this? Mm. I didn't know. I saw Peloton that. Bikes. 
We're an advisor thing. What I mean, was that was it? the highest. That was one of the higher things up there, right? Yeah, that yeah. one and um, Orange Theory membership yeah. to Orange Theory. And yeah. I've started asking people now: Do you belong to Orange Theory? And if so, why? And I'm finding out it's like a report card at the end. You get like how many minutes you were in each zone, and they totally love that. So I'm like, okay, these are things I did not expect. Well, I just think, you know, I, I'm a really good friend with John Statmuller, and John's been a guest on the show. Um, I love what John's doing with his good advisors finish first uh, idea. Yeah. Um, obviously, well, I'll just, I won't go too much into the politics behind uh, what's going on behind closed doors, but, but John has sensed this unsatisfaction with advisors from a standpoint of a perception that, that there's a perception out there uh, and, and, and that the good advisor, maybe the advisor that's not doing the things that are, that are received by the public always in, in the right way, but the good advisor will always finish first. And he said today on a, on a conference call, you know, finish first isn't a race. You never really finish. There's, no, there's nothing to finish. And yeah. I, think that's, I think that's probably a, a way people look at retirement. So I was going to segue this into the word retirement. Do you like the word retirement? I don't. Not at I don't all. Either. I, don't I, either. I don't think we should ever retire. We might just change the way that we spend our time. What right. what is retire? I mean, are you retired right now because you're not you're not no. uh, doing I'm a financial never. job? No, you're I'm still working. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I love the work that um, Greg Sloan does with purpose because sometimes your purpose is to serve in this way and sometimes your purpose is to serve in other ways but you're never retired from life my husband and i joke we're like we're never retiring we're always going to have something to work on right and i i so i struggle with that because i know that's the language that everyone uses and everyone's preparing for this retirement phase but honestly like it starts now right right, right. it, it it's your life now. It should be your life then exactly how you want it to be. So let's be part of, I told, I told a client even today, it's time for you to step up and become the conductor here. Like you're kind of going with like some random music and you're, you don't know what you're doing from day to day. You don't have a plan. You're what you're letting things push you around. Let's like make a beautiful song with your life and become the conductor. Put a little, you know, preparation into that. Right. Right. So you can make a beautiful melody that, can, that carries on until you take your last breath, and let's live long and die short and get get rid of this concept of, of retirement. There are two points in life when health takes a nosedive. One of them is at forty, the other one is at retirement. Hmm. Why? Yeah. Why at retirement? I don't. I mean, I know forty because there's a lot of physiological things that are changing yeah. there. Yeah. Sixty-five though ish or even before if you retire early. And, and there's a lot of psychology around that. And, you know, I'll, I'll just share one example of a study that was done. If you take um, people who live in a nursing home and let's say they're 88 years old, if you go in and you change the decor yeah. to 20 years ago, have you heard this one? Yeah. Well, no, I know you're going with it. Yeah. Yeah. You change the pictures on the wall. You play different yep. music suddenly their mobility increases. Their ability to walk increases. Yep. Their strength, their, their, how tall they are. Like, you're just like, really? All we did was change your environment. 
So how can we make a better environment? That's why I'm really loving your idea about the conferences. How can you make those a vehicle for improving productivity and health and life satisfaction and quality of life and all these things as opposed to just like a party that's taking early deposits? It's like a check into cash location. You're taking early deposits from your future, right? I just, I, I almost not want to go to those conferences solely because once the meetings are over, then what I'm looking to get out of the conference it ends. I, I used to be, I used to enjoy the dinners and all that, but I just, I don't like being around people that are overserved. Um, it, it just, it's something that just, you know, I've, I've lost people in my life to this thing. And it's like, but how am I going to go to a conference, go out for dinner and hang out with people afterwards without that happening? So it's not like I'm afraid I'm going to break down and drink myself that, that I'm not worried about, but why can't we have conferences where there's the theme isn't around the, the drinking stuff, you know, I, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's just what I see now because I don't drink, but, um, but so it needs an you know, up leveling for sure. What's that? The industry needs an up leveling. It's, it's time to level up. Um, it is. And you know, I, I think I, you're part of that. Yeah. I mean, I would love to be able to go to a conference and have a, a non-alcoholic, not an, not an AA meeting. I'm not an AA I've never been to meetings. I don't need meetings. I'm, I'm doing good myself, but I drink non-alcoholic beer. So it's like, why couldn't we just have breakout sessions on how to live a, a non-alcohol lifestyle? I mean, I can, I can show people kind of the ways I've done things and, and AA works and it's just, you know, it hasn't been updated in a hundred years. It's just, it's antiquated. It's the 12 yeah. steps is, you know, I, I'm agnostic, so I'm not religious. So the, the, the whole the whole higher being thing for me just always kind of turned me off with AA because I just didn't, that didn't pull me to not drink, you know, right. and for some people it does. And at the end of the day, whatever gets you not to drink is all that matters, you know, whatever, whatever can get you to make that decision not to, not to, you know, feed your addiction, then that's all that really yeah. matters. But, you know, so what's the next... To, to wrap up your book, you've got some things you've already worked. What are some other areas you want to kind of do more research on before you start finalizing the book? What are some areas of, um, of interest that you have in this industry? I'm really interested in triggers. What is hmm. the trigger that the, the switch that flips that causes people to take action? Action because, such as? Well, I, I've, talked to quite a few advisors who are actually doing very well and they've lost 70 pounds, 40 pounds. They've turned oh, okay. their lives around. Right. What, what was that trigger? Because it's different for everybody. And maybe there's some common themes that could help trigger others to do, you know, get on before they have bad test results that come back from their doctor. You know, um, one of the stories I just heard recently was an advisor went to his doctor and he was living his life really successful, thought he looked okay. And his, it's called A1C, that's your blood sugar over mm, long term, yeah, was yep. 7.1, which is full blown diabetes. That was his oh, wake up. Wow. And he's like, oh no, what am I going to do? I didn't, uh, you know, now you have to make the changes. So he's like, what do I do, doc? And he goes, well, you can only have 45 grams of carbs every day now. And he's like, okay, what is, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> he got in his what car <laughs> and he picked up his Mountain Dew. And looked at the back and it was 47 carbs, grams of carbs. And he's yeah. like, I drink three of these a day and that's not even my food. Like right. we've got some serious overhauling to do. So those triggers, what are they? I mean, some of them are common. You get some bad news, but some of them are like just a, I put this in my top 10 list too, was like accidentally glim glimpsing a 
an image of yourself in a mirror as you walk through a conference, for example, and you're like, man, who's that guy? And you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. You know, wow, I don't yeah. see myself like that in my mind's mm-hmm. eye. And that's sometimes a trigger, you know, um, some people it's like, oh my gosh, I can't play basketball anymore. My jump is gone. I, I need to do something about this. So I'm really have a lot of interest in triggers and I don't have a good feel for a common theme there beyond the obvious. So I would like to know more about that. Um, I also really want to um, understand a bit more of advisors who do bring the health conversation into their client conversations. What is the action that takes place with their clients? You know, how impactful is that? That's a tricky one. That's going to be really difficult to understand. But I, I have a lot of interest there just like, because in the 20 years plus that I've been in this industry, there are 18% of the population who actually care and do anything about their health out of 100%. 18%. Man. That's when I started in 1998. And the statistics in my whole career have not changed. It's still Down. 18%. Oh, it's 18. Okay. Yep. We have not moved the noodle, the noodle, the needle at That's all. Terrible. That's terrible. It's awful. We're failing. My industry is failing to meet the needs of the public when it comes to their health. So that's when I had my aha. That was my trigger. I was like, okay, I've been doing exercise physiology for 20 plus years and it's not working. We're going to switch here and we're going to look at something else and we're going to figure out what it is that's going to make the biggest difference. And honestly, it's the first hour you're awake. It's the last hour you're asleep before you go to sleep. It's your meal routine more so than what you eat. It's your routine of your meal. And then it's what you do during your working hours. That's actually the difference between health and non-health. I don't care if someone exercises an hour every day. If they don't have some of these things in place, they're still, they're not protected from some of these things. In fact, if someone's at a a nine on stress and they're running, I'm going to tell them to quit running because you're just doing more damage. (laughs) than anything That's interesting. else. See, yeah. I, in my, in my, I wrote down a couple of things I want to ask you here in a second, but um, in my yeah. situation, I, I have my knees are kind of, I've had two knee surgeries on each knee. I tore my Achilles tendon off. And so I can't, I can't run Ooh. outside playing racquetball yeah. when I was 35. Um, so I run on my elliptical, but I'm noticing now I can't, I can't run at the same intensity because my knees start to really get sore and I can't run every, every day. So I'm like, damn, it's like, so that Pelotonin thing <laughs> that you mentioned, I, I may be buying one. I, I may be, I may be, because I think that's going to be less stress on my knees. Um, and so I think, I think for me, as I get older, I want to exercise my heart's there, but it's just, it's hard to, because I'm just prone to getting little tweaking injuries all the time, you know? Yeah. Well, so two thoughts there really quickly. If imagine yourself, and I encourage everyone to do this. Imagine yourself and spend a few minutes thinking of yourself as an 88-year-old. Who okay. are you when you're 88? What can my you My dad's do? 88, so that's easy. I'll be my dad. <laughs> yeah, be your dad. And what things are you going to be running at 88? Chances no. are no. Are you going to be lifting heavy weights, like no. deadlifting? Probably no. not. What are you going to be wanting to be able to do? You know, walking, bending, stooping, having range of motion, having a clear mind, you know. So start there. Start with the Hmm. things that you want to put in place that you're going to want to do at 80 and then build your way backwards and put some of the other stuff in too. 
but have the foundation of an old person there first because a lot of people skip that part and then they don't yeah. have anything to fall back on. Um, and I just lost my second thought I wanted to say. It's no, I, li I like that a lot. Um, I think the, the quick fix society we're in today, even clients want the quick return. You know, they, they don't want to wait five, 10 years to get a, a fair rate of return over time. Everything's quick. I think we're the same way. You know, we, we want quick weight loss. We want quick. And it's not about the quickness. It's the longevity. I mean, losing yeah. weight's easy. Making money isn't Eating that difficult. Yeah. You know, keeping you out of the way of trading your accounts every day. That's, that's what's going to keep you from making money. Making money's easy. Just set it and forget it. Um, yeah. And losing, losing weight's easy. Losing weight is very easy. Now, there are people that are predisposed, and, and, but they still can lose weight. Just because just because you have obesity in your family doesn't mean you have to be 400 pounds. You could be 325. I mean, and I'm not I'm not I'm not being disparaging to people that are struggling with weight loss. I quit drinking. I lost 35 pounds in three months, and that wow. was four. That was three or four years ago. I've kept it off. I don't eat meat. I work out, but I, but I wasn't that way years ago. So I I evolved. I made the changes. I want to live to be 88 years old. 98 years old. I wasn't going to get there at the route I was going. Let me ask you a question yeah. about social media and mental health. Because okay. I tell you what, I, you, you're on LinkedIn a lot, so am I. And yeah. it's very easy to get imposter syndrome. It's very easy to see another financial yeah. advisor post something about what they're doing. And, and, and now, now you're sitting here Maybe you're not doing very well. Maybe you maybe you know you didn't get a very big check this week because your fee revenue is down or whatever. Some client yelled at you, and now you see some competing advisor you've never met with some really cool thing, and you're like, "Damn, maybe I should be doing that." And I think social media. I know when it comes to uh, outside of the industry, there are beautiful, great things about social media, but man, it, it, it can really for if you're not mentally prepared to dive into that realm, it, it can be a disaster. It can be a disaster for your mental health. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's the Instagram model thing, right? Everyone's like, oh, if I could just get to that, that's perfection. Right. right. You know, oh, this person has it all together. There's someone right. on LinkedIn who's done very, very well with her business. Excuse me. She had to make a pivotal change when COVID happened. And she's, she's very successful and everyone's praising her and saying, you did a fantastic job. How did you do this? And she was very blunt and said, look, this is the appearance, but I want you to know what I had to give away to do that. She sure. now has Graves disease, which is a problem with mm -hmm. your thyroid and stress and all of this stuff. So she's like, and I, and I honor her for that to say, look, mm -hmm. I did this, but here's the cost that came because of it. And so, you know, knowing that there, those people are out there, there's this one woman on Instagram and she takes these gorgeous pictures of her body and you're like, wow, she's amazing. And then she takes a second picture that's like the real her without the angles and the shadows and stuff. And it's like, <laughs> no, you're just like everyone else. <laughs> and I love that. I think it's amazing. I I do too. Yeah. And real quick, you know, I'm doing these, these interviews, but I'm also interviewing experts too. And, um, one of the people that I follow is Dr. Greger of nutritionfacts.org. And he's, mm -hmm. um, he's someone that if you're not eating meat, definitely follow this guy. He's very, very research based. Um, but I still think I, st I eat meat and I still follow him. Anyway, he says that genetics are like loading the gun 
Like it loads the gun, but lifestyle is what pulls the trigger. And I love that analogy because no matter what you're dealt in your your past, if you've got a history of mental illness or, you know, health issues or whatever it might be, um, you still you can still play the game. Like you, you you're not out of the game. It's not game over agree. for you. You still can make that change. And this other doctor I spoke to, um, Dr. Dooley, she is out in Colorado. Um, she said, if I said, tell me the one thing that would change someone's health immediately, forever, if they started incorporating it. Like, what would be the very first place you start that would be the most impactful? And she said, sit for five minutes with your mouth closed and breathe out of your nose. And I was like, that simple. She goes, yes, because what it does to your hormone levels, your brain space, the way that you can kind of reset everything. She said you can move up from there and then you can start taping your mouth at night and doing these types of things. But breathing through your nose, sitting peacefully with your own self. I mean, this is stuff that anybody can do and see instant improvements. Let me tell you something um, that's going to validate what you just said. Uh, and, and I, uh, I don't know if you saw my video I did a couple weeks ago about a really tough weekend I had, uh, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time because you're the guest. I'm the host. I don't want to be me talking this whole, whole end of the show here. But, uh, so I, when Seth died, I, I began meditation. I, I never meditated much before. I was a stoic philosopher, very much into, you know, all this stuff inside of me. But I never meditated. I, with ADD, I just figured out. I, I just figured I could never meditate. I couldn't sit still. So I started meditating. You know, five minutes at a time. Then it was ten. I did it for a year. Did it for two years. Really, really enjoyed it. And got to the point where I started writing about it. My book has a whole chapter on medita- meditation. A whole chapter. By the way, I also have a chapter on uh, addiction, disease versus choice. So I talk a lot about that. I have some research as well. I talked to Dr. Daniel Crosby in my book, and you should you should reach out to him uh, to interview him for sure. Um, okay. I'll give you his, I'll give his information when we're done, but, um, oh, I'm forgetting what I talked about. Also oh, medication, meditation. So, so I meditated, meditated, meditated. Well, my wife passed away and, um, I had seven boxes in my room, in my living room for like seven weeks, six weeks. I was walking by and walking by him. And I figured I finally realized that they weren't going to go away. I had, I had to actually <laughs> move them. Well, my yeah. boys were out of town. I sat down one night and I started going through Well, the first box I opened up was Seth. And it was just pictures and, and letters the boys wrote when he was in prison. Letters that I wrote to him, begging him to quit drinking and all this stuff. Letters he wrote to me saying how great he loved me and, and how much I, I, he let me down. And I'm just crying and crying and crying. And now it's 8 o'clock at night. And, you know, this is an hour. And I'm now getting into this hell, into this personal abyss where things are starting to get into my mind. Thoughts that weren't even there when he died in the first place. This is five years later. Yeah. And then I open up the next box and it's my wife. It's our wedding pictures. It's our baby pictures. It's, it's trips to Europe. It's, and I'm just, I am in a really bad place. I mean, I, yeah. and, uh, it got, it got really, really dark. And, um, I, this is like two hours and I shut my phone on my computer off for three days and everybody was reaching out to me and I didn't want to leave my house. I was so alone, but I didn't, I didn't want to be alone, but I was alone. Where I'm going with this, Stephen, is in, in, my, in my self-reflection and understanding why I had this weakness at that moment. And I call it a weakness for Jeff Johnston. I don't call it for weakness for other people. This was a weakness that I had on that particular moment. 
I skipped two things that I did every single day. I hadn't meditated for a week and I hadn't worked out for a week. And my point of this whole story is I got overconfident in my personal therapy. I got overconfident that I had this thing whipped, that I had it conquered. And I opened up what I call the first box of doom. I skipped meditation. I skipped working out. And I went right back into the abyss, the next box, the next box. And I knew it could take me seven and a half seconds to get to my safe and get my gun. And it just freaking scared the hell out of me. I'm like, this is Mr. Undeterred. I write about this stuff. I'm, I'm supposedly Superman, you know? And now I'm like, and I'm like, why did this happen? Well, my point is, don't take shortcuts. Yeah. If meditation is your thing, and what you kind of described there is meditation, breathing yeah. through the nose, and and that and that is what I do. And now I added ten minutes. I do twenty minutes now, and I added fifteen minutes to my run of my ellipticals. I'm so scared to go back into the abyss again. And my point with my point to everybody watching this, Stephen, is I've been through some traumatic things. I've healed very well. I've done lots of things with my projects, but I'm still in fleeting moments susceptible, like everybody else to go right back into those places. And it scared the hell out of me. And I think you could take that when you're putting together your book, and that's a very good story about every financial advisor that thinks they've conquered all these things. You've only conquered it up to this point. Yeah. You haven't conquered tomorrow at all. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I mean, that's a brilliant story of resilience because we're all gonna go down into that deep abyss and we need the tools to be able to fortify you know, the mighty Mississippi, yeah. you know, those, those, um, levees so that right. we protect those things. And if we get a hole in it, we have to go back and repair it. And every one of my clients said this to me last week, he's like, you mean you, you struggle with eating things you shouldn't eat? And I'm like, yes, all the time. I just have tools in place that can kind of help right. protect me. And then sometimes I get into, and I, I eat, you know, three, pieces of turtle cake or whatever that weakness is yeah. for me. And we we are all there. Nobody is beyond reproach. And we all just need, I call it our little toolbox. What are those things that you can reach in and help you that you know are going to support you either long term, like you said, or in that crisis moment when you need some help? Um, you know, I call them save me snacks. You should always have a save me snack nearby mm. just in case you get yourself into a place where the only option you're starving and shaking and you have to go through McDonald's. There should be a save me snack in your, your purse, your car, whatever that you can grab to get you to your next safe place for a great meal. The same thing is true for mental health. Breathing is that thing for a lot of people because everyone breathes. And if you, you probably What's know this up? already, Jeff. What's this say right there? Breathe out of your nose. Yes. That's a, I have this on my computer every podcast I do to remind me at, when I'm on a guest or I'm giving a podcast to remind me to breathe through my nose. It's so small, but it's huge. Yes. It and, and you put your tongue when you're resting at the roof of your mouth. Yep. There's an actual trigger point there for serotonin releasing your brain. Interesting. And you're like, oh my gosh, just rest your tongue at the roof of your mouth. Breathe out of your nose and get that nitrite, nitrite, nitrite oxide, and that's going to help you change your CO2 levels, which has this cascading effect yeah. of relaxation and calms you down. Everyone can do that. Then you can start over again. What's got to be exciting for you is as you are going through this research project, there's so many interesting things that you're finding that are helping you, you know. And I found that out when I wrote my book uh, is I'm doing these things going, wow, I'm writing about my son's addiction to you know Adderall early on 
And then I get into other things with alcoholism. I'm doing research on alcohol and I'm going, wow, there's a lot of things in there that I'm benefiting directly that I think more people need to hear. So I think, I think yeah. it's exciting. I think it's exciting what you're doing. You have to be ex- extremely excited to get this project done. When do you anticipate your book being done? So uh, like I said, I'm going to do interviews through the end of the year. And then okay. first quarter of next year is when I start putting it all together in book format. So I hope by the end of next, the end of Q1 that we'll are have self-publishing and are you doing an audiobook? Um, yes, on the audiobook. Yes, on the digital soft cover, hardback, um, and podcast. So we're kind of, I've got like this whole sequence of what I'm doing. Um, publishing, I, I do have a book coach and um, we are trying to figure out which direction to go. We don't know yet. I've had a publisher who said he loves the idea and wants to publish the book. I'm just not sure if it's the right way to go. So if you have yeah, advice I, on that. I self-published. I hired a publicist which did open some good doors for me. Uh, it was yeah. fairly expensive, but I don't regret it. Um, I self-published, but one thing I told myself, and you may be, you may be different in this regards, but um, I told myself I would never look how many books I sold. And to this day, um, nine twenty-five, it'll be the one year the book's been out, and I've never, I've never looked or asked. Um, I don't even know how to see how many books I've sold. My intent was never to be a bestseller. I don't. That, never to make money. It was to honor my son. That that was the reason I wrote this book. And and now honor my wife. And, you know, if money is going to come down the road, then so be it. But that's that's uh, that's not the purpose of this. And so um, the advice I would give you is I like the self-publishing because you really retain a lot of control. And with LinkedIn, yeah. with LinkedIn and social media and, and all the connections you have, like myself, I can definitely promote your book through my channels. You know, you may want to go the self-published route and maybe hire the publicist or the or the book coach, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then, you know, I figured, you know, if I if I look at my book sales six months into the into the deal, whatever number comes up, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> there, there's there's no number like like when I used to gamble, Stephen. I'd walk into the casino and there was no amount of money I was going to win to be happy. I wanted I wanted all the money. I didn't want to wow. double my money. And so I know right now in advance if I hit. How many books have I sold? Whatever number comes up is not enough. So why look? So why look, right? <laughs> why look? So I have, I have no desire to ever know how many books. And so I just think as, as an author coming into that arena, that's one thing I would probably advise you on. Just don't worry about anything. After, worry on the content. Worry on distribution. Get on podcasts. Tell your story like this. You have just, I think, an awesome... I'm actually envious of you because I really wanted to write a book like you're doing. Uh, the health and well-being of our industry. Uh, something I yeah. really, really wanted to do, but but um, you beat me to it. You but I'll read your. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I know. I got enough things on my plate, uh, but I'm really excited. To, I'm really, really excited to read your book. But I really want you to reach out to Dr. Daniel Crosby. He's he's a he's a he's a uh, a, a groundbreaking behavioral uh, behavioral finance expert, and he's got four or five books. The Laws of Wealth is one of the best books written on personal uh, uh, psychology behind finance of any book I've ever read in my life. Oh, wow. And, uh, I, yeah, I actually, I interviewed Daniel for my book and he's got like two pages of, uh, of things we talked about. We talked about the addiction issues with money and how that can be the oh, same, right. as, same as addiction issues with, with drugs and alcohol. You can be right. an addict to money. You can be an addict to money and end up having it all mean miserable. So, um, yeah. 
Anyway, any last things you want to uh, mention about your book? Maybe things you have, any other projects you have working on? And, and then how, what are the best ways people can reach you? Okay, great. Yeah. Um, I guess just to follow up on your comments about the book, I did not go into this um, hoping to make any dollars off of this book. It's a project to get the word out there. Mm -hmm. I think that if I can get the word out to there to as many people, there will be plenty of people who can't do it on their own and want to come back and hire us and we can help them with that process. So um, it's really not a money-making endeavor. In fact, I hope to give as many books away as possible. So um Awesome. Labor of love, we'll call it. Uh, so the, I guess as far as how to get in touch with me, next projects, I'm, I'm hoping to go, right now I'm working with individuals mostly. Um, I really hope to start breaking into more firm work with hmm. company culture, like you talked about, trying to flip that around, help people with b- the, the firms with burnout and turnover and all of these things by getting some of these, these low-hanging low fruit taken care of as far as their health goes. So that would be really exciting project. Not quite there yet. Um, as far as how to reach me, I am really active on LinkedIn. I'm there I all the time. Um, connect with me there. Send me a message. Go to growwealthy.com, W-E-L-L, wealthy, growwealthy.com. And there's something for advisors specifically, but I think it would be beneficial to anyone. And that's just this cheat sheet that opens the conversation and the connection between health and wealth and gives four tools to be able to use with your own clients. So um, that might be helpful. But yeah, that, that, those are the ways to reach me. Well, I think what you're doing is awesome. I think it's much needed. It's very timely. COVID, as disastrous as it was for many people, actually is... is um, a great validation for what you're doing. Well, it's a great time for people to reassess their lives. I've seen a lot of people do that and wonder, you know, what's important? What have I been stuck in? Because I talk about automation all the time. People are, their lives are already automated, but they're realizing that they're automated to the wrong things. Right. And so let's try to rearrange that furniture and get a better outcome next time. So, yeah, I love what you're doing. It's been fantastic. Well I, well, I just started this in January and it just started with blogs I wanted to write because I, I like to, writing to me is very therapeutic. And then it got into, I thought, well, I can do a podcast. And then, um, you know, then it's kind of got going and got going and I'm meeting more people like you in different industries. And, and then this whole living undetoured uh, tour next summer where we're going to every state in the United States and I'm committed to raise a million dollars and I'm going to give half it back to the states that sponsor me. Um, I'm, I'm matching the first $25,000 for the first 25 that goes in. I'm, I'm matching myself 25,000 and I want to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. And this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I've been, I've been touched by what this can do. Um, my granddaughter is here this weekend. My son's child, um, when Seth died, his girlfriend was pregnant. And so I've been blessed with a beautiful a granddaughter named Brighton, and I have her this weekend. We're going to a football game tonight. So as, as bad as things can possibly get, there's always a way to look at the other side. Find you the know? joy. We can find the joy in almost any situation, can't we? Yeah, we can. Well, keep doing what you're doing, Stephen. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure our paths will cross many times. So thanks for being on the Living Undeterred Show. Thank you.